disappointed with God and frustrated about all that he has believed up to this point. But throughout the book of Job, there are some statements of hope. Job makes these statements of hope throughout his speeches as he offers these things up to God to say some things about what he hopes that will happen in the future for Job. Now, the statements we're going to look at tonight, and I count four of them, hope statements in the book of Job. I don't see these really as prophetic or as if Job knew exactly that he was talking about Jesus Christ. But in the grand scheme of things, the hope that Job longed to possess The things that Job says about his redeemer and about his mediator and about the hope that he had that this life was not all. All of those things ultimately point to Jesus Christ. When Jesus came to earth, he taught his disciples how to read the Old Testament rightly. And he said in John 5, 39 through 40, that you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. And those scriptures testify about me. When he rose from the dead, he told his disciples in Luke 24 and verse 44, everything written in the law of Moses And in the Psalms and in the prophets must be fulfilled concerning me. So the proper way for everybody to read the Old Testament today is to read it in his Old Testament setting and see what it would have been saying to people back then. But then put on New Testament glasses given to us by Jesus himself and notice what it teaches us about him. And that's what we ultimately want to do tonight is to look briefly before our singing at four statements that Job makes in his anguish and in his sorrow and see that ultimately what Job hoped for, what Job longed for. The answer to his problems was a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I read the book of Job and I say, Job was faithful, Job hung in to the end, but if only Job had known about the first two chapters, how different his conversations might have been. And then that question's kind of turned on us because we know about the first two chapters, and how different are we as a result? Tonight, briefly, let's notice Job's four statements of hope, what Job longed to see, and see how these things ultimately point to Jesus Christ. Number one. The first one is in Job chapter nine. Job chapter nine. Job is frustrated, probably his harshest speech. He says some things about God's character that are just inconsistent with who God is. In Job nine, twenty two to twenty four, he says, I want to talk. But if I do, I know he'll overwhelm me. Job nine, two through four. But then in the heat of his suffering in Job nine and verse thirty three, he says, I would that there were an arbiter between me and him that might lay his hands on us both. The first thing Job longed for was a mediator to speak him. The New King James actually translates it this way. This idea of a mediator, the New American Standard says this umpire. Job longed for somebody to come between both himself and God, put his hands on both parties and sort of help them to get reconnected again. Now, what Job didn't know is that God was on his side at this point in his life and he really didn't need a mediator to sort of fix things. But those of us who read the New Testament, we know this is exactly what we need. First Timothy, chapter two and verse five, Paul says there is one God And one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. In order to be a mediator, you've got to qualify on several counts. You have to be equally relatable to both parties. You have to be interested in the welfare of both parties and then able to connect with both parties. And Jesus is the only one that qualifies on all of those counts. He became a human being and he can relate to us, but he's also God and he connects to God. He's the one that brings both parties back together that reconnects us with our maker. The Bible says he is the mediator of a new covenant established upon better promises. Hebrews eight and verse six. He lives right now to make intercession for us. Hebrews seven twenty five. His blood makes him the mediator of a new covenant and is superior to the blood of Abel. Hebrews 12 and verse 24. Job longs for this in Job nine thirty three, And we have it in Jesus Christ. Every sports fan. And maybe this was you on Thanksgiving. It was me has yelled at the TV as they've been frustrated that the referees are robbing their team of the game. I know some people who get so 
frustrated with this. They don't even watch sports. They believe that all sports, all athletic competition, at least on the professional level, is somehow rigged. Somehow the refs are cheating their team and are against them because they want impartiality. And they say, hey, refs can't be impartial. All the calls are going their way or all the bad calls are going against us. We want somebody that's on the sidelines that will ultimately be impartial to both parties, lay his hands on both teams and call the game straight. But we don't only want that concerning our sports. We want that concerning our souls. We want God to be a mediator between us and between him. We need a mediator. And that person is ultimately Jesus Christ. What Job longed for, we have. But if you notice what else Job says in Job chapter nine and what he hoped would happen as a result of this mediation, it's even more impressive. He says in verse 34, once this mediator comes, God will remove his rod from him. And then he says, God will remove his wrath. And finally, in verse 35, if and when this happens for Job, he says, I'll be able to speak freely before God in verse 35. And don't you know what Job longed for? It's exactly what we have in Christ. If we've been saved by his blood, we'll be delivered by by him through the wrath of God. Romans five and verse nine. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. We pass from death to life. John five, twenty four. And now Christians and only Christians can speak freely in the presence of God. Hebrews four, sixteen. And that's because we have the divine mediator that Job longed for. But here's number two. The second hopeful statement that Job makes is he hoped for life after death. In Job 14, in verse one, he says, man that is born of a woman is a few days and those days are filled with trouble. He was so discouraged. He said, our days are numbered. Job 14 and verse five. We're like a tree stump that grows up and is cut down. Job 14 and verse seven. We're like soil, the human life that ultimately dies and is never raised again. Job 14 and verse eight. And we're like falling water. Verse 11 and 12 that falls and will never rise again. And in the midst of all of that anguish, Job asks a poignant question in verse 14. If man dies, will he live again? All the days of my appointed service, I will wait until my change comes. Job had to know that his suffering in that moment was not all that there was. Job knew he would eventually die just like we know it. Hebrews 9, 27 is appointed to men once to die. And after this, the judgment. But Job was looking beyond this with the hopes that the suffering he was presently experiencing was not all to his human existence. Up to this point in Job's life, everybody that Job had ever known that had died, that had been the end of them. Job had never seen a resurrection, at least up to this point in chapter 14 in his life. And yet he speaks with this hope, with this expectance. If a man dies, live again. The rest of the Old Testament holds out hope that this is true. Daniel 12 and verse two says those that sleep in the dirt will rise to sons of righteousness and everlasting life. And then Jesus shows up at the grave of his friend Lazarus and looks into the sorrowing eyes of Mary and Martha in John 11, 25 and 26. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they were dead, yet shall they live. Those who believe in me will never really die. John 11, 25 and 26. It's as if Jesus can hear Job's question and shouts down the hallways of time back to Job. Yes, Job, if a man dies, he will live again. The hope Job longed for was that his present suffering was definitely not the end. Christianity is different from all other world religions, not simply because we believe in life after death, but it's because we believe that we will rise just like Jesus did. There are several religions, Buddhism, Sikhism, Hinduism. They all believe in what we call reincarnation. There's a place in southern Africa where they believe when you die, the spirit hovers over the grave and then it eventually finds its place in another human being, another mammal or in some type of reptile. You go and you find another place to occupy and to live. But the New Testament holds out hope not only that we'll always be with the Lord, but that he's going to raise our bodies and transform them. 
Dr. Seuss said, today you are you. That's truer than true. And there's no one alive who is youer than you. And that's true about this life. But it's also true about the next life. We won't just live again, but you will live as you again. He's going to raise us up and transform us. Philippians 3:21, And that's the hope Job was longing for. Number three, he longed for a heavenly advocate. In Job 16, he's frustrated. His friends, he says, they're miserable comforters in verse 2. In Job 16 and verse 3, he says they offer up windy words. They tag team against him in verses 10 and 11, and they bull rush Job with these questions. But in verse 19, Job says, this I know. He says, my witness is in heaven and my testimony is on high. Job realizes if nobody else speaks up for him, God does and God will. And that's enough for Job. Job longed for a heavenly advocate, somebody to speak up for him. And that's exactly what we have in Jesus Christ. In first John, chapter two, and verse one, John says, my little children, I write these things so that you don't sin. But if you sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he's the propitiation, not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Throughout the whole book of Job, nobody speaks up for Job at all except for God. But as we read the book, we realize that's sufficient. See, Stephen. As they bring these false accusations against him and in anger, the Jews throw rocks at Stephen until he dies. But Acts 7:56 says the heavens were open and Jesus stood up at the right hand of God. He was Stephen's defender. When they brought Paul before Felix and Caesarea, Acts 24 and verse one says the Jews brought along with them a man named Tertullus. And the Bible says that he was an attorney. Here's the question. Where's Paul's legal representation? Where's Paul's public defender? He doesn't have one on earth, but he has one in heaven. Somebody speaking up for him and saying, You are innocent of the charges. Job says, I need somebody to speak up for me. And Job believed that his ultimate advocate was in heaven. And that's what we need. Neil talked about museums this morning in May of this year. The Mona Lisa was in the news. Maybe you saw it. Man came in with a political agenda. He was in a wheelchair and in a wig and he threw a piece of cake at the Mona Lisa, which is worth about eight hundred million dollars. Many people were up in arms and believed that he had ruined this prized possession. But what he didn't know was that there's a piece, a thin piece of bulletproof glass that covers the Mona Lisa. It couldn't be seen, but it kept the picture from ultimately being ruined and destroyed. Our advocate can't be seen and the world can throw her charges at us. The world can throw its accusations against us, but ultimately they don't stick because our record, our testimony is in heaven. And on how, how would our lives change tonight if we started living more for the one who will be judging in the judgment day instead of others who will be in line on that day? Job says it doesn't really matter what you all think about me. My record is in heaven. My testimony is on high. There's one lawgiver who's able to save and destroy James four and verse 12. That's Jesus. And Job longed for somebody to speak up for him. And that's who would ultimately do it. Now, here's the fourth and final one tonight. Job was looking for a redeemer on earth. David sung this song this morning. I wanted to say replay that tonight. Sing that one tonight. I know my redeemer lives as New Testament as those words sound and as New Testament as they are in their application. They're first found on the lips of Job. Job says, I know my redeemer lives and he'll stand on the earth in the latter days. And after my flesh is destroyed, yet I believe in this flesh. I will see God. Job says, I know my redeemer lived. I don't believe Job knew Jesus Christ or knew about the Messiah, but his ignorance about who this ultimately pointed to doesn't in any way change it from being true. Job knew his redeemer lived, but catch the parallel. Job says in verse 25, my redeemer lives. And then in verse 26, based on that, I'm going to live, too. Job believed that his redeemer would live, but more than that, that he would come to earth and stand on the earth. And after Job's flesh was destroyed, he would ultimately see God. And don't you know that's what we have in Christ? 
our Redeemer is alive tonight. And because he rose from the dead, when this flesh meets its ultimate destruction in this life, we'll still see God. Death won't prevent us from doing so because Jesus died and rose from the dead ultimately to conquer the grave, not just for himself, but ultimately for us. Job's body is racked with those boils and he's scraping himself on the ash heap and he says, my flesh is being ruined, but I need a Redeemer. I need a go-between, somebody to stand in for me. And when he triumphs, somehow, unknown to Job in the present, I'm going to triumph too. The New Testament says Jesus is our Redeemer. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We were poor, but Jesus took our poverty and exchanged it for his riches. Second Corinthians eight and verse nine. What Job longed for, the hope Job ultimately wanted to possess was a redeemer, but not just a redeemer in a general sense. Job doesn't need a faith, a fleshly family member. He needs a redeemer that will ultimately come to earth. And John 1:14 says Jesus did this and he buys us back to God. He redeems us. He rescues us. The book of Job ends by saying God blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. And you read that and Job gets all of his physical possessions back and God blessed the latter end of Job that way. But looking down through the hallways of time and what God was already working on in the Messiah coming to the world to crush the snake, as he says in Genesis 3:15, he was definitely going to bless Job's latter end far more than Job ever could appreciate because Job suffered. And I would argue he's the second most suffering man in the history of the world. But there was one before Job who would be good and upright, walk with God and turn away from evil. One that Satan, like he did with Job, would try to tempt and get him to curse God or turn away from who he really was. He would be one who would have his friends around him initially. But in the end, they would accuse him, desert him and say, if you trusted in God, let God deliver you. But this time the wager was different with Job. God says, do everything you want, but don't take his life. But with the Messiah, his life was not even off limits. He surrendered that, too. And yet in a strange way in surrendering it, he secured it and secured ours as well. The hope Job longed for was ultimately the Messiah to come and redeem his life and to stand on the earth in the latter days. And that hope is the hope that Christians have now and until we see him in the end in the consummation of all things. The hope Job longed for, the redeemer Job expected to see, is the same Lord that we serve and worship tonight. And maybe someone tonight needs to obey that same Lord by putting Jesus on in baptism, having turned from sin, confessing him before men, and he promises to wash away all of our sins if we do that. And the hope Job longed to see will be realized by us by faith tonight and ultimately by sight in the resurrection. If we can pray for you or pray with you tonight, if this is your invitation, come now as together we stand and as we sing. My Redeemer lives and ever prays for